You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Well, I hope you have your Bibles, and let me encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, over the past few months, we have been in my home traversing a really a long and arduous road. Um, Janelle and I have had conversation after conversation. We have spent countless hours talking about this one singular thing. And gentlemen, I think you will be able to resonate with my heart in this. The conversation that we have been focused on has been on this one thing, redecorating. And, and here's, here's what I don't understand. And for me, I, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not the best in conversations centered around couches and vases, lamps, pillows that I can't sit on, I can't touch, I can't sleep on, that I can just look at. I'm not the best at talking about carpets and tables and really everything else. But Janelle is wonderful at it. Like she is top notch. I don't know what a decorating show is because I would never watch one. But that's what she is. She's just great. And in our home, we have this rule. And our rule is this. As you desire to redecorate, you can't replace something that you haven't first liquidated. So there have been weeks where we have gone without kitchen tables, and we've survived. We ate on the floor for a bit. It was fine. Couches, they're kind of optional for us at times. Chairs, it doesn't really matter as long as whatever you want to replace, you liquidate first. Now, a a well-intentioned, well-meaning friend told my wife about this place. And and this place is a multi-thousand foot place that's Norwegian in nature. It's this place called Ikea. I don't know why they shared that with my wife, Um, but what happened was we ended up piling in our van, driving two hours south to Indy, and walking around this behemoth of a store in search of the perfect chair. Now, as we walked around this store, I started to get a little worried. I started to get worried because about 45 minutes of my four-hour time in Ikea, I was lost. Like, I was circling the same furniture over and over and over again, and there's these really friendly people in yellow vests. Hi, can I help you? Yes. Tell me where the exit is now. Like, I am freaking out, man. Jax is with me. We can't find Janelle. Anyways, we end up walking out of Ikea with these two perfect chairs. Just, they were, they were the best things you could buy. Nothing in Finland has ever, or Norway, or wherever it's from, has ever been created with such gusto as these two chairs. We load them into our van, take the two-hour trip back north to South Bend, and maybe there was something on 31, maybe there's something happened that as I unloaded these chairs and they crossed the threshold of my home, they transformed. Not like Bumblebee and Transformers transformed, but they were just different. So I'm putting these chairs together and I'm watching my wife's face, thinking I'm not a handy guy, but I can, I can put a chair, well, I can almost put a chair together effectively by myself. And as I put it together and put it in the room, I watched Janelle's face go from to, and, 
and maybe it's just my house, maybe there's some sort of magical spell in my home, but as we took those chairs across the threshold, they changed. The color changed. What we thought was something that would match as we looked at it in the store, as it was brought into our house, and as the light of our house shone down on these chairs, as they were set up in the environment that they were supposed to be, somehow, someway, that chair morphed into something that was hideous. So now, I have two beautiful Ikea chairs in beautiful cardboard boxes in my basement waiting for that return trip to India at some point. I'm not sure when they're gonna actually make it there or if they'll ever make it there. Those chairs, they looked different in the light of our home. They took on a, a different hue because our light exposed facets of those chairs that we couldn't see in this wonderful Finnish, Norwegian, whatever it might be, showroom in Indianapolis. And this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter five, what we'll see is we'll see Jesus declaring to us as followers of his that we too are different because of light. That we too, if, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, are different because our life has been changed. Our life has been transformed. We're no longer who we once were. We are now, as we'll see in Matthew chapter five, two definitive things. We are salt and we are light. Jesus tells us that our identity now is no longer someone trapped in their sin. Rather, we have a new redeemed purpose and identity. And here's my hope this morning. In our time together, as we look at just a few short verses in Matthew chapter five, my hope is, is that we will see Jesus' declaration to us to be salt and light is a declaration for you and I to influence, preserve, and give light to a people that need it through the power of the gospel. And how we give salt and light to those around us changes everything. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 13. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount comes to this point after the Beatitudes and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In these few short verses, the first thing we see is simply this. Jesus is declaring to us to be salty. Not salty like I have a bad attitude salty. Salty like I'm preserving and purifying salty. Notice what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I've been called quite a few things in my life. I've been called handsome by Janelle. I've been called burly by my children. All of you probably are looking at me right now saying, is that Aaron Rodgers' twin? I get it. Very similar. He looks a little worse than I do. Jesus is the only one that has ever called me salt. So if that's an identifying mark, if Jesus takes time in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, and again in the Gospel of Luke, to take a step back from his conversation and just speak into the disciples' lives and give them two identifying marks, then we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why would Jesus declare that we 
our salt? What, what purpose does it have? What does it do and why do we need to be this? All throughout scripture and really all throughout the world, we have seen a, a history of salt being used for multiple things. Being used for purification, for seasoning, for preservation, and those are still some of the primary ways that salt is and, and was used in the world. So here in Matthew chapter five, when Jesus declares to us that you, that I, am the salt of the earth, he's giving us an identifying mark by declaring that our presence in this world should make a difference. And that our presence should be a purifying and preserving presence with the hope that through the gospel, through belief, faith, trust, repentance in Christ alone, through the testimonies that we just heard, that through the gospel, men and women might see the difference, experience the truth, and repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ. Because we, as followers of Jesus, we have been, give, have been given a message of preservation, the message of the gospel. And when you think about salt, we, we kind of all know that salt has a purpose. We kind of all have, have been on the experiential side of salt. How many of you have ever used this salt on steroids called Himalayan pink salt? Anybody? We had a, a guest over at our house last night, Jax. I love my son to death. He's, he's awesome. Uh, he's weird, like his dad. And um, Jax, whatever I do uh, in excess, Jax takes next level, right? So we have this pink salt grinder in our home, and I have sat at the kitchen table and watched Jax use this steroidal salt and think to myself, what coronary disease is he getting right now? Like, what is happening on the inside of his body? But more than that, I've seen him take the grinder and... <laughs> and lick the inside of it. <laughs> and that's okay for me. To, like, I'm his dad. Like, I get, like, germs are a thing, but, I mean, I guess they're coming from my blood. So when we have people over, we actually bring out a guest bag of salt. Um, and the guy that was over last time, I was like, hey, here's some pink salt. And he goes, what? And, and he, was, he was about to, you know, get some of Jax's salt. I said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Hold on, let me give you the guest salt. Got out the bag of salt. He tasted it. I don't, I, I'm assuming he liked it. it it's beautiful, I, I think. I don't know. If you come over, make sure we give you the guest salt, okay? The truth is that we know the difference salt can make. We know the difference it can make in our cooking. We know the difference it can make in our roads. We know the difference it can make in our sidewalks and on our driveways. We live in a culture, a climate that is accustomed to experiencing salt. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference that you as a follower of Jesus can make being salt? Do you know the difference that, that you can make in your home seeking to be the salt Jesus has declared you to be? Do you know the difference that you can be as a preserving and purifying force for Jesus in your workplace, in your communities, in your schools, on your teams, at Target when you're in the checkout? We all know you're there. I see you. I'm there 12 times a week. Do you realize what Jesus is declaring you to be? a purifying and preserving force in our community. And notice what he says. He doesn't say you're the salt in your community. He doesn't say you are the salt of Michiana. He doesn't say you are the salt to your socioeconomic class. He doesn't say you are the salt to your schools, to your teams. That's not what he says. Jesus has a bigger 
focus in mind. Are our communities important? Yes. Do our neighbors need Jesus? Yes. Does your team? Yes. But what's Jesus' focus? His focus is always and ever on the world. We, if we're followers of Jesus, we have the mandate to be the salt of the world. Already in Matthew 5, he has in mind Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, there is a beautiful picture of how you and I, as followers of Jesus, have this opportunity to live sent, to live globally for the mission of Jesus here in Michiana and if God so desired anywhere else in the world. Do you know the difference that you, as a follower of Jesus being salt in the world, can make? Our hope in the gospel means that you and I can delay the decay that is happening around us. If salt is purifying and preserving, then then that means there's something that needs preservation and purity. That means there's something in this world that is not pure and is not preserved. There's something that is decaying around us. And if our hope in the gospel allows us to be preserving agents in the world, then we've got to open our eyes. We've got to ask, what is in decay that the gospel could preserve? What is decaying around us that the the message of the gospel being salt on our tongues could help preserve? Did you know there's physical decay around you? I like to think I'm, I'm, I'm aging well. I don't know if that's true, um, but there's physical decay, right? Our bodies are breaking down around. Did you know that there's not just physical, there's relational decay all around us? There's people that are searching for meaning, searching for hope that the gospel can intervene. Did you know there's relational, emotional, creational, and cultural decay all around us that the preserving power of the gospel could help redeem? Did you know that there's spiritual decay, a desire for anything but a satisfying knowledge of God through Jesus? There's spiritual decay that happens around us. We live in a world in decay. And we, as followers of Jesus, have a message of purification and preservation if we are the salt of the world. This is a heavy mandate, by the way. Like, this is weighty because if what Jesus is saying is true, man, it changes your whole life because you quickly see the impurities in your own life that the gospel needs to hit and intersect. You quickly see areas of your life that are still in decay that the gospel needs to hit and intersect. And the truth of the matter is, is that if we were left to our own, if we were redeemed and then isolated, man, it would be almost impossible for us to delay any decay in ourselves or the world around us. God has created us and gifted us with a biblical community to gather around and be salt together. So let me ask you the question. 
If there is decay around us and if we have a preserving, preserving, purifying message, then how do we, as communities of Jesus' followers, delay this decay around us? I'm glad you guys asked. You guys are always great at asking questions. I would say this, if we're to gather together as communities of Jesus' followers with a message of purification, with a message of preservation, if we're going to make an impact and delaying the decay around us, the first thing we need to do is embrace and embody the gospel message that has rescued your soul. Man, I love hearing the testimonies that come through baptism. I love talking on the phone with those that are getting ready to be baptized, hearing their testimonies time and time and time again. Inevitably, here's what the testimony is. I was a mess, I was lost, I thought I was okay before Jesus, I met Jesus and everything changed. And now I wanna live in such a way that I bring him glory, him honor. Man, if we're to make an impact in the decay around us, the first thing we need to do is understand that we should embrace and embody the gospel message that has rescued your soul. I mean, it's, it's life changing. The second is simply this, boldly proclaim the preserving message of Jesus to the decay around you. You know, if you ever cut your hand and get salt in it, do you know what happens? It hurts. Like I'm crying. Like hydrogen peroxide feels better. Whatever that is, right? If you, if you rub salt into a wound, it hurts. But it helps heal ultimately. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, and we're boldly proclaiming the preserving message of Jesus to a culture that is decaying around us, to a world, to a community, to friends, to neighbors that are in decay around us, then hear me, it will sting. It will rub. Because the gospel is penetrating, the gospel is an affront. But ultimately, what we're, what we're doing is we're extending to them eternal hope. We're extending to them healing that only God can offer. Boldly proclaim the preserving message of Jesus to the decay around you. And lastly, I would encourage you, if you are, if we are as communities of Jesus' followers seeking to delay the decay of the world around us, then seek to proclaim the distinctiveness of the gospel where society has deviated. Man, there's something amazing about standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in the midst of decay, we might be, through the power of God's grace, a picture of preservation and purity. He's declared to us, we are, I am, you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, salt of the world. But notice he doesn't end there. What's the rest of verse 13 say? It says, you, are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus here, by the way, isn't declaring that our salvation can be lost. He's not declaring that if you don't do certain things, if you're not salty enough, that your salvation will be taken from you. Rather, he is warning us that with the great responsibility he gives us to be the salt of the earth, there is also great danger. 
The danger is this, is that you and I cannot be a preserving, purifying force in the world of decay if we've compromised our purity. I can't proclaim a message of preservation and purity if I don't believe it, if I don't live it, if it hasn't impacted me. That's why I say being salt and light changes everything. In a world of decay, there's something beautiful about the preserving persona of a follower of Jesus. Don't exchange your identity in Jesus for anything less. Be different, stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ as you seek to be salt in the world. Don't lose your saltiness by by negating the testimony that God has given you. There's power in being the salt of the earth. We have a purifying, preserving message through the gospel of Jesus Christ and it changes everything. It makes pink Himalayan salt seem like nothing. And that's saying something. Not only does Jesus declare to us that we should be salty, but he declares to us that we should be light. Look at verses 14 and following. The second indicative statement that Jesus makes, a declaration of who we are. We're not just salt, but notice verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The second thing Jesus declares that we are to be is light, and if we are light, if I am light, if you as a follower of Jesus are light in the world, then we have to ask the question again, why? Why is that important? Why do we need light? And simply put, followers of Jesus need to be light because darkness exists. And with as much tenderness in my heart as possible, hear me. All of us are born in darkness. All of us are under the curse of sin. Every single one of us. None of us is without excuse. Your righteousness, however good you may be, is nothing in the eyes of God. I walked in darkness willingly for the first 17 years of my life, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I thought I loved it. Man, I thought I loved. I didn't even know I was in darkness. And at 17 years old, when the gospel is proclaimed to me, and through God's grace, his light is shown into my heart, everything changed. All of a sudden, the wicked, sinful man that I was, was exposed, and I had a choice to make. Would I repent, and through faith in Christ alone come to him, or would I willfully shut the light out and continue to live in darkness? Some of us this morning are loving the darkness you're living in. Some of us don't even know that there is a light. Hear me with as much clarity as I can. There is a brighter light and it's the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to walk in darkness. And my hope today is that the power of the gospel would be so clear to you if you're walking in darkness that you couldn't help but turn to it. 
Colossians 1 gives us a beautiful picture. It tells us, by the way, that, that all of us are in this domain of darkness. And that darkness is the norm for our lives, but God, through his grace and a desire to restore a relationship with his creation, sent his son Christ, born of a virgin, to live a sinless life and die a substitutionary death so that you and I might not have to continue to live in darkness. Listen to what Colossians 1.13 declares. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, our natural place, where we're starting from, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you catch that marvelous work? Did you catch the beauty of the light that was shown on the heart of a darkened man, of a darkened woman, of a darkened child? The light of the gospel, it doesn't just expose your sin it offers to you something far greater than you could ever get on your own. It gives you an opportunity to be transferred from the domain of darkness to a domain of light. So this morning, why does Jesus declare that we should be light? Because there's darkness that exists. And that darkness, man, some of us could be in that darkness right now. So hear me, there's a choice that you can make. The choice is this, will you continue in darkness destined for an eternity separated from God in hell? Destined for an eternity separated from the creator? Or will you allow the light of the gospel to expose your sinfulness and draw you to repentance from your sin? Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and believe that God raised him from the dead so that you might be saved. Man, I hope this morning that the gospel light shines in your heart. And it doesn't just reveal your sinfulness, but it draws you to a loving, redeeming savior. The gospel is what lights the world because it is the gospel that shines through followers of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says next. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus begins by focusing individually. You, I am a light. We are a light. And then he goes next level. He goes JV to varsity. And he doesn't just leave it with you are a light, but he says we collectively are a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. There is power in focused rays of light proclaiming Christ. We aren't redeemed and set apart to be put in a nice hamlet, barricaded from the world, only focused on each other. There would be no purpose if that was true. If Jesus' desire for us in redeeming us was to take us and separate us, barricade us off from the decay of the world, from the darkness of the world, then there would be no hope for the world. Man, instead he declares to us that we are a city. We are not just any city. We are a gospel city. And now that we are a part of it, we realize that this city is made up of gospel citizens, followers of Jesus, living in gospel homes, occupying gospel communities, and we are gospel lasers reflecting Jesus individually and together as a community. There is power. There's not just power when we combine our saltiness together, but there is power when we gather together and combine our light. There's something amazing that happens when we channel all of these gospel rays together into one singular focus beam. 
Our hearts are encouraged. Christ is manifest. We grow in our fear and admonition of him. We build relationships that are long-lasting. And honestly, that's, that's one of the hopes that I have for my family and for my life is that I would recognize the power of life together, the power of joining multiple rays of the gospel together and leveraging my home, leveraging my community, leveraging my relationships, leveraging everything I have to simply proclaim the preserving, purifying message of the gospel coupled with the revealing, penetrating light of the gospel. Man, I want my kids to walk away from my house at 18, 19 years old. Hopefully they're not there at 25. I want them to walk away with this. Mom and dad loved Jesus so much that every moment that God gave them, man, they shone light and exposed and scattered salt wherever they went, however they went. They had people into their homes. They lived sent on mission because they realized that the message of the gospel is bigger than Michiana. It's a global message. They lived sent and they they were light and salt to a, a world. They were light and salt to me first as their child. That's my hope for my family. What's your hope with the light that you've been given? Do you even recognize and realize that there's power when we combine our lights together? that if we're a city on the hill, made up of gospel citizens, living in gospel homes, occupying gospel communities, if where God has placed us isn't an accident, then is your home a lighthouse for hope in your community? Do people know the message of the gospel? Do you even know your neighbors? I hope so, I really do. And that's a message for me as much as anybody else. What is the hope that you have for the light that you've been given? Do you realize and recognize, do I realize and recognize that my singular light is good and it makes an impact, but there is one that is far greater. It's when we gather multiple rays of light together and we increase and strengthen our lumens and we're able to shine forth deeper, more penetrating into the darkness if we're doing it together. Notice what Jesus says next. It's not just we're sitting on a hill. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Let's just all be Bible scholars for a moment, okay? I know, I feel like an idiot most of the times when I study the Bible and I read something, I'm like, that was so easy. Why did I make that complicated? Let's all be Bible scholars for a moment. What's the purpose of lighting a lamp? Why do you turn a light on at your house? Everybody say to have light. That was weak sauce. 8 a.m. was almost better than that, okay? Why do we turn on a light? Why do we, why do we light a lamp? have light, right? None of y'all are lighting a lamp in your bedroom and putting a blanket over it. Yo, you're paying for that. Why would you do that? There's no reason why you would do that. That's not the purpose of a light. We don't turn it on and then veil it. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that if we veil the light that we've been given, man, we're missing it. Missing it. The reason why you've been given a light and the reason why I've been given a light isn't to put it under a basket, isn't to put it, a blanket over it and just squelch the light. And as followers of Jesus, though, we have to realize that we are tempted, by the way, I am tempted to veil my light, to put it under a basket. And when I do that, when I give in to the temptation to veil the light that God has given me, 
When I do that, I notice three things in my life. I notice that I begin to distort God's word. I notice that I begin to head towards sin. And when I veil the light that God has given me, I notice that I begin to withdraw from light-giving community. Can I ask you, when you are tempted to veil the light that you have been given through salvation in Jesus, do you distort God's word, head towards sin, and withdraw from light-giving community? Oh, that we would repent. Oh, that I would repent and take that veil off of the beautiful light that God has given us. None of us is safe from this temptation, by the way. All it takes is one disagreement in small group, one hurtful conversation with a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, or a classmate. And when we veil the light we've been given, we distort what God has declared us to be. Yo, don't veil your light. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. There's purpose to our light. We see two main primary purposes of the light that we've been given. The first is that it would be put on a stand. When, when we, as followers of Jesus, embrace salt and light, what we quickly realize with our light is that we, we should be shining it into areas, into darkness, into places that it's needed most. When you have a light, you put it on a stand because it, its light, its reach is far greater if it's elevated. And people are looking at it, people are aspiring towards it, people are watching. If that's true, as a follower of Jesus, if people have their eyes trained on you, what are you displaying to a watching world? Jesus declares that the light that you've been given is to be put on a stand, is to be elevated so people might see him. And when we embody the light of the gospel, when we live in the righteousness that Jesus grants us through faith, then you and I have got to realize that there is action required with the light that we've been given. We're a display of Jesus' grace and glory. We are a display of Jesus to our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. Man, we are a display. What are people seeing when they look at you? They may have experienced you throwing salt at them, seeking to purify and preserve them, because that can be a rub. But again, if your life isn't embodying not just salt but light, what are you truly displaying to them? When was the last time that we took the time to boldly proclaim the gospel message that has given us life. The light that you have been given the grace to walk in through faith in Jesus is the remedy to the darkened world around us. And until that bothers us enough to share it, nothing will change. Man, we are through the power of Jesus, the remedy to the darkness around us. Not because I'm anything, not because you're anything. We're both scum, man. We're both sinners. But because Jesus through us is something. Are we banding together in community with one another, seeking to proclaim Jesus through our combined efforts? What are we doing with the light that we've been given? 
Not only are we a light that is on display, but we're a light that's revealing. Notice it gives light to all in the house. The light of Jesus is revealing. It sheds light on the hurt. It sheds light on the broken. It sheds light on the disparaged. It encourages the downtrodden and it humbles the proud. The beautiful point of the light of the gospel is that it's been given to the followers of Jesus to bring to light anything that is not from him. This light is pervasive and penetrating. A guy named Sinclair Ferguson made this statement regarding light. He said, we have a responsibility to show the Christ-like life of light to those around us. We cannot hide it under a cover. And we've been given a responsibility. And that responsibility is to embrace who Jesus declares us to be. He's not lying about our identity. We are salt and we are light. Are we faithful salt scatterers and light bearers? The last thing I want us to look at this morning is found in verse 16, and it's simply this. Give glory. Notice what Jesus says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We have to ask one final question this morning. What motivates you? What motivates me in the hardness of life to continue to be salt and light? Why would I do this when things are hard? Why would I do this when I'm heading into surgery, when I just got in an accident, when my car was totaled? Why in the world would I do this when people laugh at me and they mock me? Why would I do this? And the answer is found in verse 16. So that they, the watching world, those that are decaying and in darkness, they may see your good works. By the way, good isn't qualitative here. Jesus isn't saying that there's a, a kind of, I don't even know what the graph of goodness that you can do. Jesus isn't saying that some do better works than you and no, no, good here. The, the word that Jesus uses for good is a word that's not qualitative. Rather, it's a word that means attractive and beautiful. That goods, that those might see your good, your attractive, your beautiful works that are being done and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why should I be salt and light in the midst of hardness, in the midst of the mess that is my life? Yo, can we just admit your life is a hot mess and so's mine? I, I don't know what I'm doing with these two Ikea chairs. You want them? Like, they're just sitting there. Like, my life's a mess. And, well, that's a really small version. My son licks salt out of a grinder. Come on, okay? <laughs> Our lives are messes. And in the midst of this beautiful mess, God declares to us that we, as his followers, should be faithful salt scatterers and light bearers so that the watching world around us sees the beautiful, attractive, amazingness of the gospel and gives glory to our Father in heaven. The reason why you and I push through the hardness of life around us and continue to be faithful is so that we might give God glory. None of it belongs to you. None of it belongs to me. I'm not worthy of it and neither are you. In the midst of your beautiful mess, are you maintaining your faithfulness to be a salt scatterer and light bearer? In the midst of my beautiful mess, do I remember that there's someone that deserves glory and that he's the one that sustains me? As we land the plane this morning, I'd love for us to consider this last statement. 
If our goal is to give God glory through being salt and light, then let me ask, how does that change your view on your home? How does that change your view of the school you go to or work at? How does it change your view of the work that you do 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week? How does being salt and light change the way you view relationships? How does it change the way you view community? The reality is, is that God has given us an opportunity to experience being salt and light together in community with other Christ followers. And as we gather each week in groups with others that have the same desire to be salt, to be light, to preserve, purify, and be light to darkness, as we do that, what we realize is is that our salinity and our lumens only increase as we gather together in groups. And there's power. There's power when we gather together with the focused desire to pursue Christ. I can remember two years ago in my small group sitting in my home talking to a bunch of college students. Now, we all think college students are poor. They're richer than you realize. And here's what, here's what we said. Sitting in my living room, I said, we got one week. And in one week, here's, here's our goal. We're going to collect socks and we're going to collect money. The money's going to go to Liberia, to our churches in Liberia, to help feed teachers that are giving out the gospel, and the socks are going to go to homeless men in South Bend. One week, see what happens. I I honestly was expecting used socks and $5. True story. Um, And I was amazed. As a group of Christ followers that were binding together to be salt and light, to scatter salt locally here in South Bend and to scatter salt globally in Liberia, we collected 80-something pairs of socks and over $500. And I looked at like the 15 college students, like, yo, why do I buy you food every week? (laughs) That was my first thought. And then I got sanctified and I realized, (laughs) praise the Lord, that they're using what he's given them and I can use what he's given me to give them food. I get that. There's something amazing that happens when we gather together with the sole focus, purpose, and desire to be salt scatterers and light bearers for Jesus. You aren't meant to live life alone as a follower of Christ. And some of us have been living as if we're an island, wondering why our salt and our light seems to diminish. Hear me. If you haven't stepped into biblical community, you are missing out. You're not just not meant to live life alone, but you have a gift that the body of Christ needs. And when you don't take a step towards community, you're withholding that. Would you this morning, if that's you, would you say yes to stepping into community? to realizing that the gospel light and salt we've been given is more powerful when we do it together. If you don't know the gospel, hear me again as clear as I can. You're walking in darkness and you don't have to. There is preserving life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are separated from God. Yes, you are destined for an eternity separated from him. But Romans 10 declares that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth 
that God raised Jesus from the dead, then we'll be saved. There's repentance, belief, and confession. Could I invite you this morning, if you aren't a follower of Christ, if you're a skeptic, man, would you consider the claims of Jesus? Would you consider what the gospel could do in your life? It could rescue you. Far before you run to gospel community, you need to run to the gospel. So this morning, as we pray and as we dismiss, here's the challenge. If you've been isolated in the body of Christ, don't live life alone, separated from community anymore. Right out these doors is all the information you could ever desire for biblical community. Stop by, actually inquire and take interest in what's happening in the community around you. Do something with other Christ followers. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, we'll have pastors and some elders and some ministry staff up here up front. And let me encourage you, repent of your sins. Come to faith in Christ alone. Walk away from your darkness into the glorious light of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us community. You've given us the mandate, Lord, to repent of our sins, place our faith and trust in you alone. So, Father, I do pray that for those of us that have been living on isolated islands, thinking that we can do life on our own, Lord, that you would press into our hearts the need for community. More than that, Father, for those that are far from you, you'd press into their hearts the need for the gospel. Lord, we love you. 